Welcome to Ethically Speaking, a podcast about ethics for lawyers. I'm your host, Matthew Kreitzer. Today we will be discussing special prosecutorial ethical rules, which is a specific set of ethics unique in the criminal defense world. My guest today will be a prosecutor hailing from somewhere within the United States. The prosecutor will be offering various stories and anecdotes which show how she's had to apply the ethical rules since she started to become a prosecutor a little more than two years ago. So join me today as we discuss this unique area of ethics regarding special prosecutorial ethical rules. The special prosecutorial ethical rules can be found in Rule 3.8 of the Model Rules of Professional Conduct. These rules have been modified slightly by each state, so it's ideal that you look at your independent state to figure out how this rule is treated there. While there are a laundry list of ethics that apply to prosecutors, the one we are mostly going to be focusing on is Rule 3.8d, which provides in relevant part that a prosecutor must make timely disclosures to the defense of all evidence or information known to the prosecutor that tends to negate the guilt of the accused or mitigates the offense, and, in connection with sentencing, disclose to the defense and to the tribunal all unprivileged mitigating information known to the prosecutor, except when the prosecutor is relieved of this responsibility by a protective order of the tribunal. As a result of this rule, there are some things that a prosecutor needs to be aware of, particularly if they learn too much, they might become an essential fact witness. An enterprising criminal defense lawyer may think to subpoena a prosecutor to get their records if they do that. So how does a prosecutor balance the need to prepare their case, be diligent, and not become a fact witness? The best way of finding the answer to this question is to ask a prosecutor who's had to deal with this very question. Today's guest is a prosecutor located somewhere in the northwest quadrant of the United States. And why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Good morning. As you said, that's just about it. So I'm a prosecutor. I've been practicing a little over two years now. Almost the entirety of the time has, or the whole time since I've passed the bar has been as a prosecutor. When I was in law school, I did some civil work for a law firm, sort of research and writing stuff. But at this point, almost all of my experience has now been criminal law. With respect to some of the interesting ethical issues that you've had to face as a prosecutor, are there special things you have to be concerned with from your perspective? Yeah, so there's a lot of it comes down to investigations and and discovery obligations, right? So there's all these, we have all these discovery statutes that say you have to turn over all this stuff to defense counsel. Then there's also the Brady requirements, which came out of the Supreme Court case. I think it was Brady versus Maryland, which is exculpatory and material. So there's there can be tons of issues with that, and that intertwines with one issue we've had in our office this year is there's an ethical rule that says you can't be a witness in the same case that you are the lawyer on. And now I don't have the rule number on me, and I think it's actually a pretty narrow type of requirement or, or prohibition. But it basically says if you are the only 
witness or the only way that this information could get in that you're not allowed to be the, the the lawyer in the case and we've run into we run into problems with that sometimes because of just the fact that as a lawyer you're doing your best to understand the facts and and investigate them in some cases too and i know i have some friends that do civil work and i think that they do some investigation on their own as well but maybe it doesn't come up quite so much do you have some examples of how this has come up as you've been practicing? Yeah. So my caseload is mostly misdemeanors and some sort of low-level felonies, which are great and interesting and, and worthwhile cases, but means that not all the time do we have, you know, every single resource to throw at them. And so I'm doing a lot of some of, of the, like, the, making sure there's follow-up on my cases done myself, right? So I, you know, I'll read through the police reports and then I'll go, okay, like, the officers did a great job. They got all of these questions answered, but I know based on the law or some recent case law that I also need to know this, you know, X, Y, and Z information. I do a lot of Deweys, so it usually ends up being things like drinking scenario, like the officer finds out, okay, like, where were you before this? And I say, oh, I was at the bar, but we don't get any information on when were they drinking versus driving, that kind of thing. And it, it can become an issue as they try and talk about dissipation rates and things like that. How do these issues typically come up? Are they raised by defense counsel? They, they can be. A lot of times, I try and anticipate sort of any issues defense counsel might raise ahead of time because it's way easier to sort of fix a problem before you file the case. The case is never going to get better after the defense attorney gets their hands on it. And so if there's any potential holes, I try and get them squared away before the case is filed. Now, that's not always an option. If the person's in custody, we have to file right away. We want them to be held, you know, by the jail, things like that. And so, with especially with some of the, the newer officers doing the Deweys, things like that, there are a lot of officers that don't like Deweys. Sometimes the patrol officers are very busy. You know, they're working 12, 14-hour shifts, and they a lot of the Dewey guys work nights, and so it's really hard for them to do follow-up. For any variety of reasons, there can be information that I need and I want, and I just need to go find. So... Or even if I'm not intentionally investigating a case, when I'm prepping something for trial, I want to talk to all my witnesses. And so sometimes you end up inadvertently becoming, or most common, I think, is an impeachment witness, right? So you're talking to a witness and you're saying, okay, tell me in, in your words what happened, right? Because I'm trying to prep my direct, my direct exam for them. And they tell me something. And I'm like, ah, oh, that's, you know, I'm sitting there with a the police report in front of me. And that's a little bit different than what they told the defense. And so if it's, you know, if it ends up being material, materially different, or I feel like I need to disclose it to the defense, then I've sort of accidentally made myself a witness to this case. If this witness goes back and testifies how they, you know, originally did, right, they become consistent with the police report, then we've got this prior and consistent statement that I'm the witness to. It, it actually happens a, a bit more in the, in the domestic violence caseload than in my caseload. Victims end up recanting or trying to minimize or do something or if it's a dewey it's the friends realize that they're you know their their friend that was driving is getting in a lot of trouble and maybe they should try and minimize or or not cooperate with us and so we end up being an impeachment witness or sometimes another kind of witness and there's no one else there that can that can testify to the information and so that puts us in a sticky spot we've actually had a couple of our prosecutors in my office this year were subpoenaed by defense for issues like this. Now, none of them ended up having to, 
to testify. And I think some of it came down to trial strategy um, of the case. One of them was just, I think, very much not thought through. It was a guy that was in his first year of practice and was like, oh, well, you know, the witness said this to you. Like, I, I it wasn't to me. It was to a colleague. You know, uh, I should subpoena you just in case. And then he didn't realize, like, what a big deal that was going to be to subpoena that the actual prosecutor of the case. And once that sort of dawned on him, by the time he was, you know, we had, I think someone filed a motion to quash the subpoena. And our chief criminal judge was pre- was pretty much grilling him on, like, why did you feel the need to, you know, subpoena your the prosecutor itself on the case, that kind of thing. Like, is there any other way you could get this information in? Because once once you're subpoenaed, right, you have to obey the subpoena, it's a court order. But it just creates such a confusing thing, like for the jury, why is this person being brought in as the as a witness? And you have to have someone else sit at the counsel table. So I've never actually seen it done in front of a jury, but I saw it uh, in a in a hearing where the prosecutor got subpoenaed because there there was allegations of a discovery violation of like timeline of like we asked for this stuff. You never gave it to us. You had it. You were trying to like be mean to us on purpose, that kind of thing. And so what the prosecutor ended up getting on the stand and testifying basically to the timeline of events of discovery and when he got what information and when he turned it over. And it ended up being not, nothing came of it, right? He Once he laid all the timeline out, it's like, of course, that makes perfect sense as to why things got discovered when they did. But he basically had to pull in like a random DA that happened to be in his office at the time and say, hey, I need you to come sit at council table and question me because you can't just sit up there and just give a narrative. There technically has to be a questioning and an answering because it is a hearing, but it just becomes a big old mess. For someone who's thinking of becoming a prosecutor, are there any tips you would give in terms of avoiding these kinds of issues? Well, there, there are things that we do. So our office has three full-time investigators on staff, and I'm lucky in that my office happens to be right across from one of the investigators. And so if I'm on the phone with a witness that I think might go sideways on me, for example, if I'm dealing with like um, a, a mom of a defendant or a, a, a significant other, someone like that, if I'm worried that I'm about to hear something that I'm going to have to disclose, I run over and I find someone else to just sit in my office. Try, typically, I try and find the investigator, and I just he grabs the legal pad, and I'll just have him sit in my office. I put the phone on speakerphone, and then I say, okay, let's continue this conversation. Because it's, then, even though I am a witness to it, I'm not the only witness, right? That investigator, or if I can't find an investigator, literally like an office staff person can be the one that has to, that, that can have heard the information and come in and be that impeachment witness in the event it's necessary. Very rarely does that actually happen. I subpoena impeachment witnesses at, who, you know, the officer that would have, let's say, interviewed the, the drinking buddy, the friend that was in the passenger seat, just in case the, the friend decides on the day of trial, you know, no, I'm going to, I'm going to say something completely different than what I said that night. I don't want to get my buddy in trouble, but I've never, I very rarely had to bring in my impeachment witnesses. So, you know, it's, it's rare that one, anything goes to trial and two, if it does, that you end up needing that impeachment witness because most of the time you can just confront the, you know, you confront the witness with, okay, so this was your testimony. Do you recall saying X, Y, or Z to officer so-and-so, you know, two days ago? And, you know, I've, most of the time they'll try and sort of explain it or whatever. 
occasionally they won't and and then you just decide in the moment okay is it enough that i asked that question or do i need to bring the officer in to testify like oh no they said x y and z so it, it doesn't usually end up being a real problem but if it does turn into one it can get really really sticky and you know you don't want to risk you don't want to do anything that would risk the bar card right that's the most important thing is obviously be ethical right that's what we would hope as attorneys is that you you'd follow all the ethical rules but it's it's sometimes hard to, to keep track of that along with all the other things you're trying to do right where you're you're sitting here going okay trying to keep all the pieces of all of your cases together and sometimes you just i need that information and so you're calling your witnesses and there's no one else there and you're like okay well, we're talking about this and then you go oh shit you just said something different like you ran you, you, I've been talking to 911 callers on the phone prepping him for trial and then go, oh, yeah, I don't think he was drunk. And I'm like, oh, for the love of God. <laughs> like, one, how do you have a basis for that? You never saw the guy. You just, like, you saw him driving. And two, now I have to disclose that to defense. And so, you know, most of the time, it's just a quick email over to defense that says, hey, just so you know, you know, XYZ person just said this thing to me. Um the end and and most of the time it doesn't end up being an issue but it can be and part of it i think comes down to how the defense attorney wants to play strategically what they want to do right some people come in and are just real jerks about everything and just want to make everyone's lives miserable because they think that the, the more difficult they can make the entire process somehow the better it's going to be for their client and there are other attorneys who are a lot easier to work with that know you know the kind of defense attorney I prefer, which are the ones that know how to pick their battles and still be professional, you know, and they can be just as effective. All right. Well, those are all the questions I have for today. Thank you for speaking with me. I appreciate it. No problem. And that's all we had for today. Join me next week as we explore another ethical rule with another attorney.